Hello, 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 hello again, my lovelies. It is that time where I'm about to bring another guest on two loose lips. Just messing about on my tripod here. It's the behind the scenes production that goes into that goes into this. Uh, respect for coming through. Yep. Yeah. We've had some incredible chats so far. We had uh, Mickey P. Kerr. Uh, you may recognise or remember him. He was a finalist on Britain's Got Talent. And then... Oh, Mo's coming through now. We also had Alex Simmons, which I recommend if you get a chance, have a gander on my lives. Now, the main man Mo about to come through. Technology! Brother, how are you What's going on? going on? How you doing, man? I'm good, brother. How are you? Not too bad. Special guest as well, you know? Do you know what, bro? Like, this is my co-host. Oh, I love it. in the sun at the minute. Come on, let's... I've done one of these before. Uh, ben, uh, in, in this lockdown, I've done one of these before. Let's have a cat date. Yeah. 100% a cat date. <laughs> Go on, let's see if they like each other. My cat hates cats. Sheila. Marble, look. Is your is yours a girl? Yeah. All right. Hey, look. Marble, look. Stop being hard to get. Come on. Best way to start any live. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> but I honestly, the, the bruised banana, rocking the bruised banana. Yeah, I put it on especially for you, man. I know you're a retro kind of guy as well, so I thought you'd appreciate that. Respect, but Ben, brother. do you know what? How nice is it? It's really made me realise in this lockdown period to have an animal in the house. Do you know what, bruv? I'll be real, like, uh, it's incredible. Like, I think because, you know, the, the life that I live, I'm always out either DJing or performing or what have you. She's never seen this much of me and she really believes mm. it's her house. So now it's yeah, yeah, yeah. thrown her a bit. She's like, why are you still here? Like, she knows yeah. the time schedule. But yeah, she's, yeah, it's good having her on board. It's brilliant, it's incredible. Man. Yeah, Especially I feel sorry for people that don't have pets. Yeah, no, fair, mate. Yeah, I heard that. I, did, I just, actually, there's this... Um, there's a website called Borrow My Doggy. Oh, right. Yeah, and you can, anyone who's watching who's into dogs and your landlords won't let you have any pets, yeah, go on yeah. a site called Borrow My Doggy, and apparently you go on like a little dog date with the owners, and then if you get on with the dog, then when they're away or whatever, you can uh, or just get in touch and take the dogs on a walk. That sounds cool, man. Yeah. That's a re- it's mad the ideas people come up with, but I can relate to that. You know, the thing is, with animals, though, we went to, my wife and I, we went to this like pet trade show, yeah? And when we were there, there was like literally like farm animals. There were donkeys and all that sort of stuff, even alpacas, all sorts. And when we were chatting to them, they were saying that they actually take these like animals, like, you know, big animals, not just domestic ones, to like old people's homes and nursing homes and stuff. And they talk about like the therapeutic benefits of having uh, an animal and just kind of sitting there and stroking an animal and stuff. And honestly, during this lockdown period, it's really made me relate to that. I just think it's so nice to... Mix it up, you know, get away from humans. You know, you know as well, uh, ancient Egyptians, the reason why cats were so revered is because of the purring. It was meant to be really mm. almost like meditational and you can get into that zone, you know, when yeah. they're really like snuggling and then they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can, yeah, yeah, can definitely relate with that. I'm glad you're a yeah, cat man. person. Yeah, I look at my cat and I get jealous. I just think you're living the life I want to live. <laughs> like she'll, she'll sleep, wake up, go down the stairs and be like, oh, I went down the stairs and need a nap. <laughs> and just yeah. nap again. I love it. Nah, so, man, yeah. incredible. So, how how have you been finding this whole situation? It's all right, man. Just, um, we're lucky though. 
like me and my wife, we, it's just us two and a cat. And um, we've kind of got more space than we need. And not only that, we don't have any kids to worry about what they're eating or are they getting their exercise? Are they bored? Are they doing their schoolwork? So we're just like enjoying it. I, I, honestly, I can't lie. The only downside for me is that, you know, the work that I was doing, I've, you know, had to not do that anymore because, you know, everyone's affected by this. So they've had to cut costs and that means I can't carry on the contract that I was doing. But other than that, I'm chilling. We're doing stuff like this, <laughs> like puzzles. <laughs> and yeah just chilling I, I like it I can't lie obviously I do want life to go back to normal there's a much bigger issue uh, taking place but you know if you just like look at it on your own little micro level it's actually been quite nice getting so much stuff done around the house I agree I agree I think that um, there's definitely something that's to come out of this and I, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to sort of launch this chat show is that I believe we're all in this together and we'll all get through it together and I think that it's what we can do in our own sphere, our own universe, that then ripples out to allow other people to be able to like keep a good grip on it. Yeah, keep, yeah, you yeah. Know, keep upbeat about it. That's how. That's how. That's how I sort of see it, man. Yeah. Sorry, my wife has just asked me if she can vacuum. No. I know you were proper multi. I, I thought is he proper yeah. multitasking? Yeah, she's distracting me. She's like putting her hands up and a, a thumb up and a thumb down. Like, no, 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 don't vacuum. <laughs> I am like, like gladiator. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, she does. She she does think she's a bit of a Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> so what what do you do away from AFTV then? Obviously, that's what most people associate you with. But you would just yeah. like write your own contract. You contract them. What is it? You yeah. Do? So basically, I'm I'm a qualified accountant, but like you know, unbelievably boring work. You know, no one ever grows up saying they want to be an accountant. But it's just like a very sensible choice. You know. It's, you can't complain if you're an accountant, every company needs an accountant, everyone's got a finance department and it's, you know, it pays the bills more than pays the bills sort of thing. So I do that, but I do it as a contractor. So I'm always changing the company that I'm working for, changing the people that you're working with. You change your commute, you change your desk, your scenery. And I much prefer that. You don't get bogged down in a lot of the red tape and businesses like, you know, doing appraisals and flipping Phil from HR comes up to you and goes, oh, it's part of my 360 appraisal. Would you? And it does all of that sort of stuff. So I, I get away from all of that. And it's quite nice to mix it up. Sometimes I'm driving to like a remote place. Other times I'm taking a train to central London. So it all changes. So yeah, that's what I do for a living. But it's not quite as boring as maybe your average accountant. And how do clients who you meet, do they know about AFTV? How do the two worlds sort of merge over? I keep them very separate because um, I, you know, the thing is, you know, especially when you're working in like a professional environment mm. and, you know, finance, finance as well, like it's not the most, you know, a lot of the time you're working with people in finance and it's stiff upper lip and, you know, it's, it's not like the most free and chilled out environment. It's, you know, you'll go to a lot of offices and yeah, they'll have the radio on in the background and all that sort of stuff. Finance departments aren't really like that very often. And I just kind of feel like I prefer to keep that life and this life separate because, you know, with AFTV as well, it's not something that is, you know, from week to week or from month to month, there's always something that comes up where it's maybe not something you'd want to be discussing at work. Yeah, yeah. When you're not not around it, how outer eyes portray it. Yeah, exactly. And often there can be a bit of like... uh, controversy something might happen you know that sort of stuff and i just kind of prefer to keep that separate and um also there's there's the other benefit to it you know i i don't necessarily 
if I want to leave early one day, for example, you know, let's say, for example, I'm working, there's an away game and I'm saying, you know, look, I need to leave at 4.30 today, just come in half an hour early, leave half an hour early, that sort of thing. If my manager's a football fan, they'll completely understand, yeah? But if your manager's not a football fan, I don't want to try and convince anyone that football is a worthwhile endeavour that, you know, it needs to kind of slightly tweak my working life. I, you know, you obviously make sure you still get your work done, but sometimes it can be a little bit difficult. So I prefer to just keep that separate and, and not go on about it too much. But honestly, it's annoying because there'll be times where I'm at work and I'll get an email or I'll get an instant message and someone's going, oh, are you, are you that Mo Hader from AFD? And I'm like, oh, for God's sake. Like, just, <laughs> I don't want that. So it, it's a bit tough. But on the other side, sometimes you can't avoid it. Sometimes you go somewhere and people do recognize you. They do know who you are. I was working at a business once and they had offices in London and dotted around the country and Arsenal were playing Hull away on a Thursday night. And I said to my manager, look, I really want to go to this game and uh, I know you've got offices in Hull. And he was like, go for it. Just go and work in Hull for the day. <laughs> so because I wouldn't have been able to get to Hull after work, you know, leaving London at five or six or whatever. So he was like, yeah, go for it. So obviously, look, it's my expense going up to Hull. It's not like I expense that to the company, but I just worked on a random office in Hull. <laughs> and uh, I was like, you're a legend, you know. So it's really nice when you can kind of mix the two. But often for me, it can get very, very tricky. And this season, especially, I haven't been able to get to as many away games as I want because mm. it hasn't always been that easy for me. Yeah, what are, you, what are your thoughts on um, the Premier League season? Do you think it'll finish? 100%, yeah, yeah. It absolutely has to finish. I think that people aren't being very, like... Uh, um, to, like if it was us at the top of the league. No, not even that. I think that's a given. That is an absolute given, yeah. You know, there won't be a single Liverpool fan that's saying, oh, yeah, it should be voided, but you'll coincidentally get that from other clubs. And I think the the closer you get to the bottom of the table, the more proportion of that fan base will be saying that. So, I mean, I think, you know, that shows my cynicism when it comes to how people are coming to their conclusions there. But what I was uh, talking about is that I don't think, I think people are being very adventurous or very, like, blue sky thinking with how they want to deal with this situation. Like, people are just saying that, oh, we can't get it done by this date, then it's got to be over. This could... This, for me, could be a case of the next two, three seasons might be affected in terms of start dates and end dates. But eventually, you can get back into the cycle again. It doesn't need to be a short-term fix. So the way I see it, you could turn around to the players now and say, look, the break you've just had is effectively your summer break. And the start of next season and the end of this season might only be two weeks apart. So, yeah, you don't get to go to the Maldives and stay in a nice villa on this summer, for example, but that's just the price you have to pay as professional footballers. And is, they'll is, find a way. Is, is this then, in that sort of uh, example, their downtime is in a pre, not a pre-season with training, but would you say, because two weeks is quite a crazy turnaround for a professional athlete. Uh, mm. You know, it's quite consistent, isn't it? I know like Premier League footballers, well, professional footballers, there's hardly any respite anyway, but mm. I think that could be like a bit crazy. Yeah, but the thing is, look, they're getting their break now, right? They're, they're not playing intense matches. Any player that's injured and stuff, this is a great time for them yeah. to recover from the injuries. And the way I see it, they're basically, this is the same as what they would be doing if it was a summer break. But this summer, they wouldn't have had much of a summer break anyway, a lot of them, because of the Euros. Yeah. So I feel like, in reality, the net effect of everything that's happening compared to if life was normal, a lot of players would actually have more of a break now so I think that it's not that unrealistic to say to them look the ask on you now is that you don't have a 
big gap between the end of this season and the beginning of next. And just so be it. The, the way I see it, though, Ben, is that, you know, it might not be ideal, but it's the same for everyone. It's like when you play in horrible conditions, wind and rain and snow or whatever, you can talk about it all you like, but it's the same for every player. It's the same for every team. So ultimately, it's still, it still maintains the integrity of the league and the integrity of the competition. So however they do it, they'll find a way around it and they will complete the season. And I don't, I don't think that it will um, be like a gap, you know, on that honours roll. Who won the league in this year? Who won the league in this year? There's not going to be a no-league winner due to coronavirus. They'll make it happen. <laughs> do you find that um, the way that it's sort of going to break down, if it does run after Jill, into July, players potentially could be out of contract or, for, mm. for example... Danny Ceballos is only on loan until a particular exactly, time. Exactly, yeah. So do you feel like it could happen, but those conversations are to be had? Or do you think that those those stipulations that are there are the things that sort of prevent it happening altogether? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the thing is, there's two relationships here, isn't it? It's the clubs with the uh, Football Association in their respective leagues or whatever, and even UEFA. And then it's clubs with one another. So the league will say to Arsenal now we're going to finish off the Premier League season like this. And that might be an end date of like late July, for example. But then now Arsenal, let's take Saliba as an example. They've got a deal with a club and they're going to be saying to one another that in our contract that we wrote up, it was 1st of July, no, 1st of June, that Saliba would have expected to join Arsenal. But the reason why it would have been 1st of June is because that is when the that is the mid, that's a point between the two seasons, right? Mm -hmm. So now I kind of feel like, I don't know how murky it will get, you know, in terms of the legalities of it, but the clubs will say to one another now that, okay, well, we were going to sell you this player because we thought it was going to be after our season completes. And that's in effect the reason for that date. Arsenal might turn around and say, well, tough, you just gave us that date. So what's going to be respected? Like the, the literal meaning of mm -hmm. the contract, as in 1st of June, or the the underlying principle behind that contract. And I think that's where it could get a bit murky. And it'd be nice if all clubs turned around and said, look, we understand you said versus June because it was after your season so we can complete all of your games, blah, blah, blah. And I think that'd be a, a fair and nice way to go about it. But we don't know if all clubs will do that. So it could get a bit tricky. But as far as I'm concerned, with the FA, if I was part of the FA, I'd say, I don't care. You sort that out between you. We just need to complete this season now. And the FA might not even let... Uh, clubs register a new player for this season so so yeah I, I kind of feel like it will all end up washing itself out and it will um, they'll figure it out in the end well another thing that's just lent on from that that came to me is that um, obviously the transfer window that'd need to be staggered as well wouldn't exactly, it exactly yeah they, they go further into the next season yeah 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 exactly I, I think they might even get rid of transfer windows entirely they just have it all the way around yeah yeah and kind of say, until we get back to normal, there'll have to be a lot of change. There's so many. The, do you know what's interesting about it is, right? Look, you know, if you're not talking about it to people, you don't really think about it that much. When you start talking about it, so many other little nooks and crannies come out and you kind of think, oh yeah, but what about this? And what about that? And at the top table, in the highest circles that you wait for FIFA, all the, all the leagues, all that sort of stuff, they'll be having this conversation. They'll be like, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about that? And what about that? Even, for example, policing requirements. If they're going to squeeze loads of games into a short space of time and it's, you know, the fans are allowed to go to the stadiums and the police, instead of every four days or every seven days, whatever, having a game, there's just so many things that will come out of this. But 
I just think that the stakes are too high and the integrity of the competition is most important. So I think they will have to. Worst case scenario, you miss out next season. But I don't think you miss out this season. I don't think you say this season is void. You're, oh, because that's, that's drastic. But, that, but let's, I think it's also very drastic to say this season can't be completed. I think that's bang out of order. Yeah, I think it's out of order. And it would be hilarious. Don't get me wrong. If there's any Liverpool fans, I'm sorry, but it would be <laughs> hilarious. Imagine how long have they waited to win the league and then first the slip and now this. It's just like, you know, honestly, if, if that happens, then God is definitely not a Liverpool fan. You know that for <laughs> sure. But I don't, I don't think that's the right thing to do. Liverpool are champions this season. You know, I, I want to continue talking about football, but you did sort of uh, just bring up... Um bit about well god obviously just in the banter of the conversation but one thing i wanted to speak to you about is the badge that you predominantly wear when you feature on a AFC. yeah yeah uh, do you think do you find that the platform you know offers you know even though it's a football essentially it's a football fan base you can still put messages out there for people to sort of do their own research into and show no, you support no i don't think it does allow for that um do you know what? I, do you know what? Let, let's go. I'll, I'll show you what I mean. Um, one second. Zara, where's my uh, jacket with the Free Palestine badge on? No, I don't think it is. Well, look, the interesting story about that, Ben, is that I, um, I, I love Robbie. Like, Robbie's a good friend of mine and, and stuff. But, you know, as a mature adult, you don't have to agree with everything that your friends say, right? You can have disagreements and you can still keep that mutual respect and carry on. Me and him had a big disagreement about this because... in a sec sorry one second more you froze just as you were uh, going into the oh sorry story. so if you just want to start from top again please brother sure sure so he basically um he said that he had received complaints like email complaints about the badge and i said to him well i don't understand why explain to me how the badge is offensive because the badge is not anti anything it's just yeah. pro something and i feel like that distinction in any area of life is really important like you know for example if you know when i was um you know, when I wanted to get married, for example, for me, a plus point was that as my wife shares the same culture as me. I wasn't saying I don't want someone from this culture. Or I don't want this person. I was saying this is what something I do want. So it's a, it's a positive conversation, not a negative conversation. Right. Yeah. And um, so with this badge, all it says is free Palestine. It's not anti anything. It's not criticizing anyone. It's just free Palestine. You know, the, the United Nations recognize that Palestine is um you know uh in under occupation so it, it's not this is not news to anyone it's not an opinion piece it's just fact anyway so if you look at the badge really closely as a result of that conversation where robbie basically said well you know because what they used to do is they used to crop me out so whilst that might be the normal um yeah. distance and you can see the badge here yeah. they'd crop it out and have my face bigger in the, in the camera so that's how they got around it and I, i'm all for that in the sense that I can understand why they want to be apolitical. And also I can understand that it's up to me what I wear on my person and it's up to them how they shoot things. That's within their gift. This is within my gift. And I said to Robbie, look, if you want me to do as I'm told, if you want me to not wear something or wear something, put me on your payroll. Because when I go to work, you know, they'll have their T's and C's about political slogans and this and that. And you have to respect that. You're on their payroll. If you don't like it, you're not on their payroll. Clearly I wouldn't have accepted um, <laughs> that, but it was the point that I was making that you can't tell me what to do and so the way I got around that I said to him okay fine your issue is that I'm wearing a badge that says free Palestine 
you think it's offensive because it says free? Because clearly, if I, walk, if I walked up wearing a badge saying England or Pakistan or Jamaica, you wouldn't have any issue with it. You wouldn't say this is unacceptable. So this is what I did. Yeah? Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you see that it should say free Palestine, but I've just, just put, a, I've put some black tape on there to, yeah. um, to censor it. And for me, that's an infinitely more powerful message than saying free Palestine. Because, you know, even the UN, you can read one of their reports, as I said, and you'll see that they're under occupation and that shows that they need to be free. But what's infinitely more powerful than that is that when you try and back Palestine publicly, you're censored. You're not allowed to. It's not the popular choice. And, you know, I, I know that I haven't had um, maybe as many knocks on my door as a result of the fact that I stand proudly in support of Palestine. Um, and, you know, the, the AFTV one I found very, very disappointing because, you know, whenever there's a racial incident, even Robbie did a brilliant documentary recently on, um, on ITV about racism and football. And even the Palestinian football team has experienced a lot of racism as a result of what they're going through. So, you know, I kind of feel like I would have liked Robbie to have been a bit um, stronger on it. But I really, really do understand that from his point of view, why risk upsetting people? He's got a business to run and I can understand any business wanting to be apolitical. So that, that's my protest in a way. That's me showing people that if you try and stick up for Palestine publicly, you will be censored. And unfortunately, that's just the way it is. I was always wanted to ask you that, you know, because I've always noticed the badge. Um, mm. So I didn't know that backstory behind it. So thank you for going into that with me. Yeah, no worries. How would you rate this season as an Arsenal fan? Because I personally think it is the craziest, craziest season ever on and off the pitch. Like, it's, it's beyond a soap opera. Yeah, it's a, it's a joke, man. Like, you know, it's going to be how would I rate this season? Look at the teams that are ahead of us in the league. It's mad what to do think you put that. It down to? Because I, I like you last season was feeling Emery, and then mm. he, you know he just it seemed like he got in his own head trying to, yeah. I don't know, show that he was a, a master mover of positions like playing Torreira in a number ten. Yeah, just yeah. getting it so wrong. Mm. Yeah, I almost feel like you know we all love those stories, right? When like you know, for example, it's stuff of legend how. Henri was converted by Wenger from a left winger to a striker. It's almost like by doing, sometimes you can do too much. And when it works, you're a genius. But when it doesn't work, everyone's just screaming, saying, just strip and keep it simple. It's so obvious. But would you also add to that, though, that when you look at the, and I know it was just an example, but when you look at the physique and the pace and the qualities that Henri had, you could see why he was putting him up top. But Torreira has never posed anything that looks anything remotely like a number 10. No, I, I can understand the logic as well of the Torreira thing. But, you know, let's not forget, when uh, Henri was doing his thing, you know, people, people weren't for it. They were kind of thinking like, you know, this is the English Premier League, back to goal, you know, target man, all of that stuff. And, uh, you know, people didn't believe in the project at first, especially because it didn't yield results straight away. But with Torreira, I can totally understand what Emery is thinking. I just don't think that it plays to his strengths enough. What's he thinking? Because I have so, no clue. Yeah, so for me, it's, if you think about it, like the best place to win the ball is in your opposition's third. And Torreira, statistically, he's incredible at that. He re I, for me, second best DM in, in the Premier League out, uh, other than uh, N'Golo Kante because of his ability to tackle without 
giving away fouls and his uh, ability to intercept and that sort of thing is very, is very, very good at winning the ball. He doesn't do much with it afterwards, but if he can win the ball there and you get that, you get the opposition running back towards their own goal and when you're close or in their final third, at, at this level of you know, football, you're very, very likely to uh, get yourself in a position where you either score a goal or create a really, really good chance. And I feel like when Torreira's doing that work further, you know, um, closer to his own goal, it does, it's obviously still really useful, but it doesn't result in that goal-scoring opportunity that it does when you win the ball higher up. And then with Granit Xhaka as the other kind of player in the middle, He's got such a good... Um, because this is the thing about football. It's all about combinations. You, you can't just look at one player and say, oh, yeah, he's good at this, so this is why you're doing it. It's how you complement the whole team and the other players. And with Granit Xhaka, he's got such a good range of pass. Don't get me wrong. I know he's like a, quite a divisive figure. He doesn't... Um, he can't do it on both feet. He doesn't do it quickly, you know, like Cazorla, for example. But he has got a wand of a left foot, and you can put it, you know perfectly on the pitch anywhere he wants when he has time on that left foot. So him playing that quarterback role further down the pitch, just bring those counter-attacks, and Torreira doing the job winning it further up, absolutely brilliant. But then the problem with all of that was, in theory, it's fine. But in reality, Torreira's a much better DN than Xhaka was, and we faced way, way too many shots. Xhaka doesn't have that agility, doesn't have that defensive brain to try and get in the, get in the way, intercept and break up play. And as a result of that, I just felt that we, we ended up conceding way too many shots. And if you're conceding too many shots, naturally you're going to concede a proportionately higher number of goals. So that was a thinking that I thought, because whenever a manager does something like a, a weird sub or a weird transfer, I think to myself, right, look, you know, we all think we know it all as football fans, but they're not idiots. They obviously had a thought process. And I just try and understand that thought process. And that's what I came down to with this one. And Sari did it as well at Chelsea. He tried to play Kante higher up and Jorginho further back because Jorginho is a master passer of the ball. And uh, again, I just thought, well, look, you know, if, if it's not an absolute specialist DM, then fine, maybe you've got the ability to go and do that. But when these players like Kante and um, Torreira, they're so good at what they do. Just don't change it, in my opinion. No, I agree. I agree. And um, funny but, you but bring up Jack Does that make sense to you, though, in, in terms yeah. of what he might have been thinking? Or do you think it's just nonsense? I think, I personally think, it, not the theory, I don't think the theory is nonsense, but I think it is nonsense because mm. I think that as much as you want to win it higher up in the field, as soon as that, that first wave of your attackers gets breached, yeah. then what happens is what's been yeah, happening yeah. to us. Yeah, so exactly I, right. I, I think that you either get, and someone put in the comments, and big up everybody who's watching and leaving some positive comments. Uh, also my boy Lee who uh, commented earlier. But uh, yeah, uh, I think someone mentioned the way that Liverpool do it with Henderson. So, you know, you've got Henderson, Van Eldem, and whichever yeah. other player they decide to put in next to them. And they can close because your attackers are so good at closing, but there's always yeah. one that's sitting. Whereas I just don't think that we have the players to suit that. And I yeah, exactly, yeah. If, and, and you've got to think as well, the time that he started to do it, we were all right. We, I think we were third. We were third mm. in the league. I think we, it was just after the Watford game. And then he, he just started to do it. And it was like, well, why are you changing such a, mm. a knee-jerk thing that, that isn't... And then it, it, he just, yeah... Yeah, it, for what was so promising last season was that he was very gun ho and it seemed like he was assured with the changes. Mm. Now I just think he was blagging it because of the last time, last sort of months of his reign and seeing how he responded to it. 
Yeah, I find Emery a really interesting one because, you know, at times I thought, do you know what? I wasn't thrilled with his appointment, but at times I thought, actually, do you know what? Fair enough. He does seem to know what he's doing. But it almost feels, it seems like he gets in his own head yes, and he ends exactly. up doing too much. And I just think, do you know what? Just keep it simple. Just, I think that would have suited him a lot more. But yeah, he, he's almost his worst enemy at times. I think I'm a man of energies as well. And ironically, if he would have done what the changes you said for the reasons that he did, and he wasn't in his own head, he was actually in it for the team, then I think it might have actually worked off. But it, I felt he was trying to show how great that he... Not great, but just trying to show that, look at me, I can change things, I can adapt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it yeah. was almost like, that's an Emery masterstroke that was wanting mm. to be said, rather than, this is an Arsenal team playing a certain way. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. And that's why I go back to the whole Wenger thing about converting on from a left winger. I don't think Wenger was that egotistical where, you know, he would put his own kind of like, um, and especially at that stage of his career, he would have just been desperate to succeed at Arsenal. But... I do think some managers do things for the sake of doing things because when it does when it does work, if it does work, that's when you get this whole genius label when it's a masterstroke. But yeah, I do agree. I feel like Emery might have been doing that, thinking that you know, I I need to sh because if he if he just played Torreira where um, you know Torreira should play, it's a case of oh well yeah you just there's no big deal like you know it was it was there on a plate for you the whole time, but the fact that you know he's trying to do something different if it works and you get all the plaudits. It's a high-risk strategy. It didn't pay off. What's this one here? Every manager that doesn't play Ozil and to his strengths doesn't understand football and it's not good enough for AFC. Should we have a, a chat about Ozil? I mean, I, I personally yeah. feel that the, the stats aren't supporting the, um, the player. I don't, I, you know, you can't hide behind the fact that last season he had two assists. Like, I, I, as much as he can be adorned or anything like that, I just don't, I don't know if the ship, if it sailed on him. I, I wouldn't yeah. say that because there's definitely a player there. And yeah, I yeah. something interesting. I think Paul Merson said it, even though I'm not a Merson fan at the moment for what he's been trying about Arsenal. But um, I think he said that um, him and Sanchez, it was yeah. just the perfect pair and they've both yeah. struggled since. I'd like to get your views on that because personally, I think if Ozil and Abba, like he should be getting... 10, 15 assists a season with players like that in team. Yeah, you know, it's a weird one. The thing is, when it comes to assists, right, obviously that's what Ozil's made his career on and that's why we, we talk about that and we, we look out for that stat. It's much harder to get an assist than it is a goal, you know, and, and that's proven in, in the Premier League. If you look at the top assist of a season, no one's ever done 30, but rate, like very, let's say like there's be about eight to 10 players maybe that have got 30 goals in a season. For some reason, it's harder to get assists than it is goals. So always be that person providing that thing because there's four midfielders always trying to provide and funneling it to one or two strikers. So the striker will get the goals and the assists are more kind of spread. But Ozil had an incredible track record of getting assists. And now when he only gets two in a season, we're like, what the hell? You're past it. You're gone. Yeah, but it, it's, I mean, go on. Because I, I, yeah, I just... It's not, it's, not the, it's not the volume that we're expecting. Because you've got to think, even at Arsenal, he had that season when, did he get like eight or nine in a row? It was ridiculous. It was, he got an incredible number of assists and that was feeding Giroud as well. Yeah, he yeah, wasn't exactly. the most clinical or pacey. But I, I just kind of feel like, look, you know, the assists, I'm not going to ignore them entirely. But on the other hand, I don't think they always kind of tell the full story. And I, I look at a player... Um, you, like everyone does, you're trying to get a player's overall contribution in a game. 
There's some games where Ozil will play absolutely brilliantly. He'll be impeccable, take so much pressure off the team, retain the ball. His passes always be to the, not just to the right player, but at the right speed, to the right foot of the right player. Like it's, it's honestly incredible when he's on, when he's on his, um, you know, good form. But I have to say, We've got Mesut Ozil on £350,000 a week. If you look at Mesut Ozil's resume, his CV, World Cup winner, this, that, the other, and you say to yourself, how much should that player be on at this stage of his career? You say, oh, yeah, easily, 300 350k. But when you look at him day-to-day playing, is he justifying that salary? Would you look at him as a £350,000 a week player? And then you turn around and say, no, if you look at the other earners of that nature in the Premier League, you'd kind of say, well, yeah, you're probably getting more from them than we are getting from Ozil. Even but it's... playmakers, you could list maybe five playmakers that are producing week in, week out above him. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I have to agree. I don't think it's an efficient use of our resources at Arsenal to be paying him 350 grand a week. I don't think we're getting as much for it. Um, you look at Aubameyang, for example. Doing his job, no one can question it. Absolutely no one can question it. He's doing his job fantastically well. He's on less money. Uh, you look at Bernd Leno, for example. Really someone like, who's earning his money. But then with Ozil, I kind of feel like, yeah, for that money, you would expect um, more return. But that's the problem. We're looking at it kind of just game by game, performance by performance. But that's not why he's on 350 grand a week. He's on 350 grand a week. Firstly, because of his CV, yeah. because of the star that he is, and he's put himself in that position where he's so highly rated. And then secondly, as well, it was a timing thing yeah. with uh, Alexis it. leaving. He hustled it really well. Exactly, exactly. And, and that's just, that's life, you know. People that make millions off of the stock market, it's always a timing thing. It's not because, you know, they're necessarily, just as they realise that, a point in time that this is the right time to buy or this is the right time to sell. So yeah, Ozil and his agent played a blinder. Just how Aaron Ramsey did. He's on 400 grand a week. <laughs> is he really a 400 grand a week player? But it's just the way, it's the way football is, isn't it? It's the way the cookie crumbles. And Ozil, for me as well, the, the one thing that I think a lot of people don't consider with him is that he achieved, in my opinion, not too much, but he achieved so much very, very early in his career. And then where do you go from there? We can't deny that uh, Real Madrid are a bigger club than Arsenal. And when he's leaving Real Madrid, naturally it's a step down. And I, I think to myself, you know, you're on more money at a club where there's less pressure. You've won everything there is to win. And I just it's wonder if... Does he have as much motivation? Mm-hmm. Had he, you know, had he started off at Arsenal, like, you know, you look at Ozil uh, at Werder Bremen, I think it would have been a different different game. When he first came to the country, I do think he had something to prove. And I think he did really well. He was yeah. brilliant. It was a revelation. But now I feel like he's got married. He's on £350,000 a week in one of the best cities in the world. He's won everything there is to win. He's coming to the last phase of his career. I don't think he's hungry. Do you find that maybe from the player's point of view, and I've seen a couple of comments coming in, and somebody said, you know, Ray Ozil from Arteta, to Emery, which is fair. I'm definitely seeing a lot more work rate from him. I've still not seen as much assist as I'd like. And one thing I always stick up for Ozil about is he's the guy that sets up the guy that sets up the goal. So, Mm. you know, there's maybe that statistic that could come into it. But do you also think that players sometimes lose motivation when you see players go? When, you know, like we just said, that he had such a click with Alexis. Sometimes, is it the club? Where's the ambition to, 100%, to, to the players? 100%. And honestly, look, we can criticise Ozil as much as we want. 
his hunger, his desire to be the best is, is very, very um, consistent with Arsenal. We can criticise the player all we want, but I think Ozil sums Arsenal up. On, on Ozil's day, on Arsenal's day, amazing, beautiful to watch, lovely to watch. But is this, is Ozil really, really striving to win the Ballon d'Or? No. Are Arsenal really, really striving to win the league and the Champions League? No. And I think he's at the right club, in all honesty. You know, he's, he's a huge, huge name because of stuff that he's done. That's exactly what Arsenal are. So we can criticise Ozil all we want. But, you know, I think he's, he's a representation of the club. And, and, you know, when you do see players leaving, of course it affects you. Do you I don't know if you play football, Ben, with your mates or whatever, yeah? Because I mean, the look, Black Zidane. The Black Zidane. I, I heard they call Zidane the White Ben. <laughs> <laughs> but look, what I'm saying is that, you know, you imagine the guys you play football with, yeah? And think about the standout player. Think about the one player you want to be on your team, mm. yeah? You've probably got someone in your mind, right? Now, if you're playing and he gets injured, or let's say, for example, you're playing, the team's unbalanced, and you say, all right, let's switch players, and he goes on the other yeah, team. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're kind of like, oh, everything's a little bit harder. Like, you know, in your head, you're thinking, it's not going to come as easy anymore. And it might affect your motivation a little bit. And this is us having a kick around. For these guys, we've seen it with Van Persie, we've seen it with Fabregas. Yeah, it's the it consistency does... of what we've seen as well. Yeah, it's not just exactly. here and there. It's the consistency of what we've seen. It affects you. It gets to you. And, and you know, ultimately, it's hard to be the one person going against the grain the whole time. You get used to the culture of an organisation you're in. It's hard to change the culture of a whole organisation. Mm. Arsenal has probably changed Ozil to just be a little bit more, you know, oh, yeah, yeah this is fine. This is good enough. We're not, we're not really a killer club. We're not a shark team. Do you know what I mean? And now, no longer is Ozil. So, I almost sympathise with Ozil. Because, you know, when I look at Gareth Bale, when he left Tottenham, you look at his actual physical change. You know, he became a beast at Real Madrid. He was probably a better player uh, at Tottenham. But even then, he was brilliant for Real Madrid at first as well. But everything changed. And I kind of feel like, I know he's fallen out with Real Madrid. It's not necessarily a good example in recent years. But it was kind of that, step up. You have to get even better now. You have to get even stronger. You have to get even quicker. And with Urzo, I think it's been the reverse of that yeah. Arsenal. And I don't think Arsenal cultivate killers. What's interesting is, do you remember his debut when he set up Giroud with like his first touch? So it's almost like, he, And then he yeah. scored against Napoli. So he almost came yeah. in at the level and then exactly. he's almost like you're saying subdued now to... Exactly. The, because unfortunately, you've used a great word there, culture, and I don't know what Arsenal's culture is at the moment. Yeah, no the present I. time. I, I, no I'm real I. optimistic with Arteta. I think that he, he, that's the thing that I'm loving the most is that he's ingraining a culture. He's, he's reminding players what it's meant to, to mean to play for that club yeah. and that badge. And, and I think that's one thing that I can't just lay that on Emery and I'm not going to have a pop at Wenger, but I think for a long time, players have been coasting and it's almost a culture of you get to a certain... I've got Man City fans uh, who are friends who, who go, you know, as soon as a player's half-decent, we'll take them off you and you start laughing and the mm. next minute they end up there and you're like, you know, like... Yeah, exactly. But Man City are a great example. They got the money in, in a flash, right? That, was, that happens in a moment. A new, new owner takes over, you're flooded with money. And this was before FFP as well. But they didn't get the success straight away because the money can't buy the culture, you know, and I've always, I've always said, like, you know, I think F1 teams are a really, really good um, case to, to look at. And you look at how they celebrate every race win. 
Like, for example, um, you know, Lewis Hamilton and his team, they know they've got a very, very good chance of winning that um, Constructors and Drivers' Championship every single year. But every race they win, I, I look at those celebrations and I think I see no sign of complacency with these guys. They are absolutely delighted every time they win. And that's because so much has gone into it. And with F1 teams, I know I, I have a friend that used to work for an F1 team, um, Mercedes, in fact, very successful one. And the way they work, every single department is honed in on that end goal. You know, why is that filing cabinet in that place? Does it help us achieve our end goal? And everything across a whole organization is geared towards that end goal. I don't think that's the case at Arsenal. And I feel like there needs to be a visionary. There needs to be someone who's got like ridiculous standards, ridiculous hunger to go in and kind of say, look, everything is in the question now. We need to be winning leagues. Does this support winning a league? I don't think Arsenal think like that anymore. Mm. It started a long time ago with the fourth place sort of conversation. And that's a slippery slope. Either you strive for the best or unfortunately, it's just a slippery slope. Nah, you're right, mate. I think, like, I said that the last decade for me was a decade of mediocrity, I believe. I know it's a strong word to yeah. use when we've won FA Cups, and but the way that we've sort of gone down, I, I definitely think yeah. so. I, even when, what frustrates me more is, and again, I think culture's the key word, is now, we, you know, I, I really love psychology of things, and it's like, before we were like, well, we want to be... Uh, compete for championships then it's we want to be competing for the top four then it's like oh well you know we can't be signing these players then it's like oh well loans and it's like we're getting fucked off left right and centre yeah, yeah, like, by yeah. just taking loans but because of the way that it's uh, I read Animal Farm uh, and I was like that's how Arsenal have been run at the moment it's like the Cronkers are the pigs and it's like every time you're like well you said that and it's like no no we didn't say that we changed it slightly yeah. and it's like what and I just I hope that because Arteta is coming from maybe not the most successful Arsenal period in our history, but he's, he's definitely won trophies with us. I think if he can get Santi as a number two, I'd really love Santi back at the club. And uh, these sort of players that know what it's like to play for the club. I know Pears there, Freddie's there. I think that there's a lot of quality youth which is coming through. I mean, I think it's one of the strongest it's been in a long, long time. Um, I think with the right signings, I definitely feel like we could be, again, competing for these Champions League places. I actually yeah, with, with the right signings, we'll but Ben... Run. I felt we were on a run before this to, to get that fifth place. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, I I kind of feel like Arsenal have been way too inconsistent this season. And for me, it's a complete freebie for Arteta. I'm not going to complain if we don't achieve anything this season. But the reality is, look, we are a cup team now. When was the last time we gave the league a real go? We win a few FA Cups and everything. And that's, that's a testament to how, how much of a giant Arsenal were, in a way, because we still have that expectation and that, you know, um, track record of winning trophies. But we're not, we're not doing well enough in the league. Ultimately, the way I see it with Arsenal is that it's been a, a very long decline. But we're, we're nose-blind to it now, even as fans... We've, we've walked into a flipping, you know, room that stinks. And that stench hit us the first time we smelt it. And we're like, what the hell's going on? You know, and, and that, you know, that analogy will be in, the, in, a, in like the kind of, let's say, a league finish in, in the form of a signing or whatever. We'd be like, what the hell is this? But now we're used to it. We don't question it anymore. Mm -hmm. The one thing that really, really made me realise that is when we signed Danny Welbeck and people were happy with it. And, like, you know, no disrespect to Danny Welbeck. He was never a world beater. That's not a signing to be happy with, in my opinion, when we signed him. And I thought to myself, you know, how, how much our standards have fallen. 
and unfortunately now I kind of feel like even as fans we're not we don't carry as high of an expectation anymore we're kind of used to it a little bit and we complain every now and then but ultimately we it's hard to maintain that energy every single day of being annoyed and complaining and crying about stuff it's hard to maintain that energy it's hard to be emotionally affected by a defeat because or a draw dropping points when we shouldn't have because it happens too often and and this is the shame man i, I kind of feel like we're, we're getting used to it and in fact i'll be more honest than that we are used to it now and i really hope arteta's that guy that can come in and kind of say guys wake up you know here's some smelling salt what the hell are you doing thinking that it's all right to you know for this result or, or when someone suggests signing a certain player, he's like, what a second, wait a second, do you have any idea what I'm trying to build? And we need someone who can do that. We need a, a revolutionary. And Arsene Wenger was that revolutionary when he came in. And I hope Arteta can be as well. But look, this season is an anomaly, right? We've had three managers this season. How many times has that happened in living memory of Arsenal Football Club? So this season, we're going to have to accept that. And I hope that Arteta's methods and, you know, him being a visionary all comes to fruition from next season and onwards. Do you feel, and sorry for keeping you, brother, thank you for your time. No, 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 not at all, Ben, it's a pleasure. Soon, but where do you think with the board, where, where do you stand with the board? Are you like with the, the Turkish sort of side of it where we should be protesting? Do you feel like, as I, I support that, but I also think that there's been so much toxic, I hate that word, but it definitely, you know, I was there at the centre scene of it, uh, Everton away and, mm. you know, all the carnage that sort of popped off. And when you think of the season, it's just been so such a, a crazy, chaotic season. Do you feel like, even though that's doing a, looking to gain a positive, do you just think it'll... Because the fans do seem united at the moment. Do you feel like this will, again, uh, splinter certain sections and bring the wrong sort of attention to the club? Yeah, it will. That's the effect of it, you know, always. I, I, I think, like, you have to accept that when, when any... We're so passionate, we're so tribal about our club. You can do anything and it will create a bit of a splinter and that sort of thing. But you have to ask yourself, is the potential benefit, does it outweigh the negatives, right? And certainly, if we got a change of ownership out of it, whatever splinter groups formed and all that sort of stuff, for me, the benefit would outweigh the negative. But we have to be realistic we might as well go out and protest the rain and kind of say, hey, we demand sunshine. Well, it's not going to happen. You know, like you can protest all you want, stamp your feet all you want. It's not going to happen. And we're in a place now where, you know, un because when I'm talking about a protest, I'm, I'm talking about Arsenal, right? We basically can't agree on anything. We can't protest anything. If we all said we're not going to go to games, that is a protest that is proportional to what we're trying to achieve. Because what we're trying to achieve is to convince one man, that's all it is, just one man, to say, I can't be bothered with this anymore. We can hold up banners, we can shout and we can complain on AFTV and do whatever the hell we want to do. That's not going to convince Stan Cranky to sell. Let's be honest about that. The only thing that will convince him to sell is if we jeopardize his project. And banners aren't going to jeopardize his project. Only, you know, cold, hard cash is going to do that. Do so, you feel, sorry to cut you, do you feel that um, any sort of financial repercussions of the current situation we're in might have an impact in if somebody, you know, he's losing out on revenue till whenever we know when it starts again. Do you think if somebody were to come in over the next couple of months and go, you know what, I'll, I'll bid. I asked this to my mates earlier. Do you think that he might be tempted because of this unparalleled situation? Um, I wouldn't have thought so because, you know, I would imagine that someone of his wealth can withstand this. 
you know, he might have lost a hell of a lot of his net worth. I don't know how his businesses are fed and all of this, to be honest with you. But there's not even any guarantee right now that uh, football teams aren't going to receive all of the income that they would have expected to. You know, there's obviously a massive timing difference. That's why a lot of players are deferring their wages. But if we are able to complete the season and um, we're able to get the stadiums full again, then they might not be any worse off. And, you know, another interesting dynamic, you know, back in the day when we built the Emirates Stadium, um, match day revenue was a much higher proportion of total revenue. Yeah. And, and it was more important about what you earn on that match day. Now it isn't because TV income has gone crazy. And I was wondering the other day, if, for example, they said, look, these games have to be behind closed doors, but instead we're going to start televising more games. In fact, let's say televising all of the games because fans can't be there, which I think is a really, really likely scenario in the event that they're behind closed doors. Surely that would also see a proportional increase in TV money. You imagine how many people will be chomping at the bit for football. These games will get record viewing figures. And then I thought to myself, well, if TV income is a higher proportion of revenue than match day income, could that actually end up being a net benefit to the clubs financially? So I really don't know how all of this is going to wash out, but ultimately they could do better out of it. So someone like Stan Kroenke, he might be thinking, let's not be too reactive here. I might end up just as... Um, earning just as much as what I thought I would, or even potentially being better off. Who the hell knows? This is uncharted territory. It's so difficult for all of us to know how this will wash out. Nah, mate, amazing. I see a few uh, comments coming in about Albert. I don't want to step there because for me, I believe that he's going to stay and I don't like staring that pot. But What what makes you think he's going to stay, by the way? (laughs) I think, do you know what? The connection with the fans, I do. I think, like, I know he wants to win stuff, but if he... This I've got my Arsenal head and heart on here, right? But if we do the right things and him at the helm, I think in two, three years' time, we can be causing... We can, we can be back to where we want to be. Now, he's in, his question is, does he want to win things before it gets to that point? And um, I don't know, man. I think... I just... You know what? I just, I just wish that he'd stay and that's it. That's all I'm yeah. basing it on. Do you know I think what? he's I... definitely connected to the club. Yeah, the way I see it is like, you know, uh, what he does, what Aubameyang does, there's literally a group of about 20 men on the planet that can do what he does. It's such an exclusive group. People do not realise this. You know, across all the top five leagues in Europe, because that's what we're talking about here in terms of the pool, there's not many people that year in, year out can get the number of goals that he does. He's such a rarity. And I know that these people will always exist, but ultimately that group of people that can do it are special people. And they're in high demand. So the, the whole conversation about, oh, shall we let him go? For me, no. Once you've mm. got one of these players that can do what he does, do not let them go mm. ever. Unfortunately, from what I remember, he, I think, his, I think it was his grandfather, really wanted him to play for Real Madrid. And I think he's even said stuff in the past about playing for them or something like that. And I feel like if he comes in, this is the last contract he'll ever sign, like last big contract he'll ever sign as a professional. If they come in and he can get a three, four deal with them, he, he would do it. I, that's just simply what I believe because I have this expectation of people that are born and bred Arsenal to be loyal to Arsenal, but he's not. He's come in and he's done his job brilliantly. He's been a fan favourite. If he leaves, I'd, I'd turn around and say to him, well, fair enough. Like, I'm not going to boo you if you ever return. You know, Aubameyang has been brilliant for us. I love the guy. And if, if he's had a dream of playing for Real Madrid, then, 
know, on what basis can we say he shouldn't or that he wouldn't do it? Would you pin that on the board as well by letting it run into the final years of his contract, which God. again was the whole thing that was meant to be ironed out? Yeah, because they said that they're going to stop that happening. Vinay and Raul, I'm sure they actually said that, you know, they're going to stop that happening. And, but you, again, it's like going back to the cranky thing. Raul and Vinay could have started protesting outside of Bamiyang's house. Ultimately, you can't change a man's mind. This is not a protest where, you know, people are going to be giving in to pressure because they're concerned about, about you. This is just their own interest they're looking after. So Aubameyang, um will just do what he wants to do. It doesn't matter what Vinay and Raul say. It's naive of them to let it go this far. They should be more firm with a cut-off date and say, that's it, you're being sold. Or, or rot in the reserves. They need to play real hardball. Because the risk is now that, yeah, you know, do you know what I found really interesting? He was doing an Instagram live with Kevin Prince Boateng. I don't know if you saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Boateng said to him, how, how long is left on your contract now? And Aubameyang said, one year. And Kevin Prince's, uh, uh, Boateng's reaction told me everything I need to know about like, just imagine being in that inner circle of footballers and yeah. understanding what they go through. When he said one year, Boateng went, oh. Yeah. And literally, if this was a cartoon, I would have seen money in his eyes. Yeah. Every footballer knows it's the gold mine. And Ramsey's done it. Loads of other players have done it to Arsenal. And now it's Bamiyang's turn. We just have an inability to prevent that from happening. And looks like Bamiyang could be the latest beneficiary of it. So the final two from me then, uh, I know Instagram has this thing as well as kicking people off. So I think we've got about three minutes. So thank you for your time as well with this brother. But um, do you not feel that where Liverpool's success has come is that they have spent really wisely in the money that they've been able to attain from selling players? So then is that not, mm. and I know FFP's around, but is that not for Cronkies, the Cronkies to almost say, well, you lost that, we didn't get the right sale on the players that have gone for free, so we understand and we should put our own money in. Like, that's how I feel a business should operate. No, 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 no. I, I disagree. I think if I was Stan Kroenke, I'm saying I've appointed you as the MD of the club or the CEO of the club to run the club in the right way and I've got a head of uh, negotiations and I've got my CEO, CFO, all of that stuff. I would turn around, instead of saying, oh, now I should put my money in, I'd turn around and say, all right, that's it, you're fired. So do you, you think that's what happened with Gazidis subtly? No, I don't. I, I actually don't. I think that his head was turned by Milan because I feel like, from what I remember, he had some sort of um, ability to get an equity stake in Milan yeah. in, in that project. And that's just, you know, you'll be laughing if that comes, comes good. And also Arsenal. I mean, it was a bit of a pressure pot for him. You know, I don't think that it was the easiest gig. So, yeah, for me, if I was the owner of a club, I'd be turning around and saying, hold on a second, I had a 30, 40, 50 million pound asset that you let go for free. Yeah. Like, imagine you're a business owner, you're a DJ. Let's say, for example, the nicest pair of decks going, you had an employee and they were like, oh yeah, I left the van unlocked. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You'd be like, yeah. you're gone. And, and it's the same thing. They've just mismanaged an asset. There. And then final one is, which free signings would you like to see coming into the club? God, that's a tough one. Well, look, Apamecano is the really obvious one. For me, that, that would be a dream to get him. Um, and on top of that, it's tough because I really want like a dynamic number 10. But do we have space in the squad for that when we've got Meza Ozil? You know, and, and, and that's a really tricky thing. And that's why ideally for me, Meza Ozil would move on because I think that, like, let's say even like a James Madison, as an example, could uh, give us a lot more. And I think they'd have a lot more to prove. I love Ozil, don't get me wrong. I think he's an incredible player. But I just feel like, you know, we're not, 
he's not perfect for us right now. We need someone to kind of like, you know, want to earn their stripes. He's already earned all of his. Um, so that would be those two. And then I, do you know what? I, the third one, I don't know. I'd love to, I'd love to get like a, an amazing winger, like a, uh, obviously we're not going to get Jadon Sancho or anyone, but you know, then I think, so what about Martinelli? You know, why stifle him? I'd rather he gets that gig as well. What I would like to do in all honesty, look, Mustafi and Jacka, they've both very, very much improved in recent weeks. Ultimately, they are still not the answers. I would move both of them on and I would get a very, very accomplished midfielder in that Kazola mould. Um, I don't know if that is Danny Ceballos. I'd use Danny Ceballos as the benchmark. Either he can be the signing or we say, can we get better than him? And I would move Xhaka out of, of, of the squad because I, I don't feel like as much as Xhaka has been better, he's not world-class. I don't think anyone will claim that he is. And I, I really feel like the spine of your team, you need it to be world-class. So we'll have Saliba coming in, obviously. And... Um, if we can get a Pamecano, I think that's a really, really good spine with Leno behind them. Torreira, I think he's a brilliant specialist in his position. Get a brilliant uh, central midfielder pairing with him. Either Mesut Ozil playing to his potential or a great number 10. And then our strikers, we don't even need to worry about because I think we've got a brilliant, um, brilliant set up there. So, yeah, and then with the sprinkle of magic from the wing with Martinelli and that sort of thing, I think, you know, we can make a good fist of it next season. Perfect, brother. Mo, you're an absolute gentleman. Thank you for taking time out and uh, getting stuck into no the, worries, the chat with me, man. Massive respect for My you. My pleasure. My pleasure, Stay bro. safe and cool through this time. I'll catch you at a future Arsenal game, yeah? Will do, hopefully, man. Take care. Thanks for having me. Respect, brother. Peace. Later. So there you are. That was uh, Loose Lips. That was uh, a chat with Mo from AFTV. Nice to get on a level and see what he had to say about Arsenal's season and just the interesting side of it as well about uh, especially the Palestine part of it. And uh, yeah, incredible. Good guys as well, man. Make sure you give him a follow and watch all his videos when they upload on AFTV. I've got one more interview left, which is going to be with Matt Healy. Uh, he was a finalist on MasterChef and now is doing big bits in the restaurant world and food cuisine enterprise. So yeah, land back at freaking heck <laughs> 30 seconds i'll see you on the other side thank you everybody for checking it out i'm ben random peace <laughs>